0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. Have you ever done the right thing for the right reason and had it go all wrong? Yeah, I have too. And that, and that bothers us because there's something within us that says, if I do what's good, then good ought to come back to me. But the reality is that that would be true if we lived in a world of justice and light, but we don't. We live in a world filled with darkness. And today in our story, we're going to see how Paul and Silas did what was right, and it went all wrong, But still they were used by God to overcome the darkness and bring the light of the gospel into the life of a man who had lived in darkness and almost took his own life. Uh, Our series is entitled Darkness to Light. It's a biographical study of the life of the Apostle Paul from the book of Acts. Uh, it is not what you would call an expository study, and that theological term means that you take a book of the Bible or a section of Scripture and you preach every verse, verse by verse. It's not that kind of study. It's biographical in the sense that we are selecting episodes from the life of the Apostle Paul and drawing them out of the book of Acts for us to see the life of this incredible uh, leader of the early church. Last week we saw Paul and his partner Barnabas as they left the church uh, at Antioch in Syria. And that church was the first to send out missionaries into the the uttermost regions of the world of the first century. And Paul and, and Barnabas went on what was called Paul's first missionary journey. It took them to the island of Cyprus and the uh, region of Pisidia, and then finally back to Antioch of Syria where they started. Well, today we're going to see the ending of that first missionary journey again, and then we're going to see the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey, where he'll be paired this time with a partner named Silas. And Paul and Silas do the right thing, for the right reason, but they suffer for it. And yet God used their suffering to bring about the title of today's message, A Jailhouse Conversion. So before the curtain opens on today's episode, let's go back and, and review a little bit. This is kind of the prologue to today's uh, drama. Uh, Acts chapter 14, we'll begin with verse 21. This is at the end of the first missionary journey, Acts 14, verses 21 and 22. After preaching the good news in Derby and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch of Pisidia. Now that's a different Antioch than the one from which they began. Antioch of Pisidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I emphasize that last phrase because it becomes central to our story. That understanding of the reality of the Christian life, of what it means to follow Christ in this dark, sinful world, would be the very thing that God would use today in our story, in the life of the Apostle Paul and Silas. So, pick it up with verse 26 of Acts 14. Finally, they returned by ship to Antioch of Syria where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God to do the work they had now completed. And so that's the completion of the first missionary journey. A successful mission completed, but they were not done yet. Acts 15, beginning with verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark. Now let me just stop here for a moment and give you a little background, especially if you weren't with us last week. Uh, John Mark is the same individual who wrote the Gospel of Mark, the earliest of the four gospel accounts, but he's also Barnabas' cousin. And so there's a real connection there. And he was with them on the first missionary journey, but a problem occurred related to Mark. Verse 38. Okay, Barnabas wanted to take him, verse 38, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus." Do you see a, a disagreement arose, a, a contention so much that they split. They must have been Baptist. I mean, if, if you've grown up in a Baptist church uh, or you're familiar with Baptist churches, and that's all I can talk about because that's all I've ever been. Uh, we've seen churches split through the years, sometimes for the silliest of reasons, the color of the carpet or, or some other inconsequential thing. And what I love about the New Testament is that it doesn't take these heroes of the early church and, and portray them to be faultless super saints, They were real people just like us. And they had real people issues just like we do. And and so this disagreement, the kind that still happens today, arose between them and they split up. They parted ways. But what I want you to see is by the time we finish the message today, we will see how spiritual maturity did not allow that split, that disagreement to continue without being resolved because these men realized there was something more important than their own personal opinions and ideas. And it's the gospel. And so you'll see that before we're done today. So, Barnabas and John Mark go one way, verse 40, Paul chose Silas. And as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care then he traveled throughout syria and cilicia strengthening the churches there now as as we get into today's story you're going to see that paul will encounter just as he did in last week's story he's going to encounter demonic opposition he's going to do what's right and yet suffer for it but God will turn it around to bring victory and glory. And what I want us to see throughout this story is that it's not just first century church history. There are spiritual principles at work that are still at work today in your life and my life. And so let me summarize it all with our big idea for today, our sermon in a sentence, and it's this. When we live in faith, Christ is seen in our suffering. He's seen in our suffering. And you'll see how that plays out in their life today. So, let's open the curtain on this episode of Paul's life. In Acts 16, verse 16 and following. One day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. Now the setting is Paul and Silas are in the city of Philippi. And it says here in the 16th verse, as we were going. Now, what does that tell us? Well, we know that Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. So it tells us that Luke is a part of this missionary team. And they're going down to what is called the place of prayer. Now, there was a place down by the river in Philippi that had become a gathering place, kind of an outdoor retreat for prayer that the believers would gather. And so that's where they were going to gather with the other believers there in Philippi. And as they were going, they encountered this girl, I assume a, a young girl, who was telling people's fortunes. And she was doing it by demonic power. So pick up the narrative, verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Hmm. Well, I don't know about you, but I think that was a pretty dumb demon. (laughs) I I mean, think of it. Instead of disparaging them and, and, and insulting them, This demon, through this girl, is exposing their true mission and their message of the gospel. And apparently this went on again and again and again until Paul became exasperated. Verse 18, this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her, and instantly it left her. Now that's awesome, is it not? Uh, I mean, this demon had possessed this young girl, had just taken over her life, and and Paul, by the power and the Word and the name of Jesus, had cast it out. So this was a great thing, right? Everybody ought to be happy about that. No. No especially not the people who were using this girl to run a scam on naive people and gaining profit from it. Because when the demon departed, their cash flow dried up. And so see the response, verse 19. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Now, was that true? No, it wasn't true at all. But you see, darkness doesn't care about truth. Darkness only wants to extinguish the light and it will use whatever deceptive and demonic means it can to do so. Its only objective is to still the voice of God's messenger so that the light of the gospel cannot penetrate the darkness. And so I want us to stop and think about that reality in our context today. Here are some facts. We are now living in the most spiritually dark era in our nation's history. We are living in what many have called the post-Christian era. There was once a time when, when I was a child, and some of you are old enough to remember this, when the things of the Bible, they would call it the good book, even if they hadn't read it, Or they would refer to God as the man upstairs. There was a cultural Christianity, much of which was not connected to true faith in God, but there was an acceptance in the culture of the things of the Bible as being right. Friends, for the most part, that's gone today. That's gone. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more progressively anti-Christian, anti-biblical. And here's what that means for you and for me if we are serious about being Christ's ambassadors and messengers. If you are faithful to the Lord, sometimes you will be misrepresented or even lied about. If you hold up the standard of Scripture in a number of different areas, there are going to be people who are not going to receive it well even if you if you deliver it with tact and grace and compassion and mercy and grace and love and all of the things that we seek uh, to be examples of, the fruit of the Spirit. If we hold up the truth that conflicts with the desires of sin, we often are going to be portrayed as people who are hateful and bigoted and narrow-minded and old-fashioned. Just go down the list. That's just the reality that we live in. We will be misrepresented and even lied about. That's exactly what was happening to Paul. And that principle is still at work. These godly men had done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. And yet they were brutally attacked. Pick it up with verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. These two Innocent men, both Roman citizens who were given no due process, no legal representation, no recognition of their rights. They were not only imprisoned, they were put in what is called the inner dungeon. It was the darkest, dankest, most miserable place in that Roman prison. And so Paul and Silas began to scream and yell and cry and demand for their rights as Roman citizens, didn't they? No, they didn't. And here is where the story turns for the glory of God. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God And the other prisoners were listening. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you've heard that, and maybe that doesn't uh, startle you. But, I mean, just stop and think of where they were, encountering suffering worse than any of us have encountered. And they were singing praises unto God and praying. Now, let me just say, I loved hearing you sing praises just a few moments ago. I'm so thankful for Pastor Steve and Dalton and our worship team that lead us to sing these glorious praises. But you know what? It's not all that difficult to sing God's praises sitting on nice cushioned gray chairs in an air-conditioned room. Not all that hard. God is good. But it's a different deal when you're in the armpit of a Roman prison. And yet, they were singing praises to God. How could they do that? It was because of their faith and their attitude. Their attitude. You see, attitude makes all the difference in whether God can use us or not. It makes all the difference. Now, I'm going to stop and just get brutally honest here, okay? I'm your pastor. I love you. We are friends. But this, this is honest time here. There are some of you, I have no doubt, though I don't know what's going on in your life, have no clue, you don't know what's going on in my life, those of you watching online, I I don't even know who's watching, much less what's going on in your life. But here's what I'm pretty confident of. Somebody, at least in one of the services, maybe this service, there's somebody that God wants to use, but He can't because of your attitude. Because we're unwilling to have just the least little bit of discomfort without getting grumpy or complaining or getting sour or bitter or all these other attitudes that don't look a bit like Jesus. And when God wants to use us, He's unable to do so because we need a Holy Spirit-empowered attitude adjustment. It was Paul and Silas' attitude toward God that said, no matter what my environment, no matter what my circumstances, no matter what my experience, it hadn't changed the reality that my God is good. And He's worthy of my praise. So in the armpit of a Roman prison, they are singing praises unto God. And because they had that kind of faith, and that kind of attitude, God could work a miracle, and He did. Look at verse 26. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. How cool is that? How awesome. And you know, here's the reality. Sometimes, God does His best work in the midst of our deepest pain. When we have faith and trust in God and a good attitude and we are in deep pain, it is sometimes in those very circumstances that God reveals Himself most powerfully. And that's what He did here. I mean to the point that an earthquake shook the prison, the doors opened, the chains fell off, and then verse 27, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that the prisoners had escaped. Now watch this. So he drew his sword to kill himself. Now here's the reason why. If you were a Roman prison guard, and prisoners escaped on your watch, then you would be executed. No question. And that execution would be slow and painful to make an example of you. And so this prison guard decided it would be better for him to die by his own sword quickly than to die in that way. And so he was about to take his own life to leave his wife a widow and his children without a father. But then Paul spoke, verse 28. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, I love this, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now just... Pause for a moment and ask yourself, what was it last week that caused the governor, Sergius Paulus, remember him if you're la- here last week, who became a believer in Christ when he had been a godless man, what is it that caused this jailer in Philippi to turn from a, a, an unsaved, unredeemed... Roman prison guard into a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. What made the difference? They were both confronted with irrefutable proof that Jesus was real and the gospel was true. Now, we would like for there to be demons cast out and and earthquakes and uh, doors fly open. You know, we would like that kind of miracle to kind of back up our, our argument for the gospel. But the reality is God doesn't always do that. Though He is still working miracles, by the way. And we've seen some miracles. But the greatest miracle of all is a transformed life. And the most available, irrefutable truth to the validity of the gospel is your life and mine. For those people in our spheres of influence who do not know Christ, to see something in you, not perfection, none of us are perfect, but to see a transformed life where we don't act like other people. We don't do the things that other people do. We don't have the kind of sinful attitudes and negative behaviors in our life that other people do because, not us, because of Jesus in us. And when they see that kind of life, the Holy Spirit has an opportunity to work on their hearts. And just maybe some of them might ask, how can I have what you have that I don't have? Well, they asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Now look at this. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. Praise God. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Now, I don't think they were Baptists because they were baptized before they had the meal. Baptists would have had the meal first and then the baptismal service. I'm kidding. But, I mean, what, what a great story that these people, now just stop and think of this, light had conquered the darkness. And today... This very day, that man and his whole family are in heaven because two godly men were willing to suffer and not lose their faith and not have a negative attitude, but the glory of the Lord shone through them. And because of that, this whole family came to Christ. So, Let's draw the curtain closed on this episode of Paul's story. But before we're done, let's, let's just kind of think back on what we could take away from this story. What are the lessons? What are the takeaways that apply to our lives? Just three real quickly, and then we're done. Here's the first. Even faithful believers will have differences in times of disagreement. I mean, isn't that true? Even good and godly people can disagree. But, God is honored by humble reconciliations. We talked about at the beginning of the story how John, Mark, and Barnabas went one way. Paul took Silas, went another way. There was a split. There was a division. So did it remain that way the rest of their lives? I want to take you to the very end of Paul's life for a moment. Uh, The book of 2 Timothy in the New Testament was the second letter we have recorded Paul wrote to the young pastoral protege named Timothy. And 2 Timothy chapter 4 is right at the end of Paul's life, just before he was executed. It's where he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've remained faithful, and I'm about to receive my reward. And right there at the end of that letter, the very last thing we have recorded of Paul's words during his earthly life is 2 Timothy chapter 4. I want to take you to verse 9 and 11. Here it is. End of the letter. Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Paul's in prison. He's in the Mamertine dungeon here at this point. Verse 11. Look at this. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come for he will be helpful to me in my ministry now here's what that tells us somewhere between the beginning of our story and and the end of Paul's life in 2 Timothy 4 somewhere in between we're not given the details when where or how but somewhere in between there was a reconciliation one of them reached out to the other to say hey what divided us back then, let's put that aside. For the sake of the Gospel, let's be reconciled, forgiving one another, being unified in the cause of Christ again. Somehow, that happened and here's why that's a lesson for us there's perhaps somebody or several somebodies in your life that's a brother or sister in Christ and you had a division somewhere along the way and who was right and who was wrong is not the point here but it just may be that enough time has passed That you could put those hurt feelings and and those uh, tensions and bitternesses against them aside for the glory of God and reach out to them and say, hey, we had that thing back there, but let's forget about that. And and just for the cause of Christ and the glory of the gospel, let's be unified again. Uh, To extend an olive branch, if you will. Now, There may be some people who you would do that and they wouldn't receive it. They'd bring all the old stuff back up again. That could happen. But can I say, even if that happens, you will have done the right and godly thing. You will have been the one to reach out in the spirit of unity. You will have been the one to try to heal the hurt. And even if they reject it, God will be honored at your effort and you Just never know God might reconcile a broken relationship that when you come to the end of your journey, like Paul was coming to the end of his, you'll be glad that you allowed the Lord to bring reconciliation. Here's another takeaway. God sometimes chooses to allow us to suffer even when we've done the right thing. Don't become disillusioned in your journey of following Christ thinking that if you always do what's right, it's going to pay off every time. It's like you you know you put the, the coin in the slot machine and it, it rings up a winner every time. That's not the way the Christian life works. Sometimes you can do the right thing for the right reason and suffer for it. But can I tell you, our God is bigger than that. And our motive for doing the right thing must not be what we might get out of it. Our motive must be we do it for the glory of God because it's right. Because it's pleasing to Him. So my, my encouragement to myself and to you is just do the right thing because it's the right thing before God. And leave the results to Him. And sometimes... Even if you end up suffering for a season because you did the right thing, God will use it to bring about His glory. And sometimes it's our faith in the midst of suffering for doing what is right that causes people to see Christ in us, just like in Paul and, Silas. and so that brings me to the last takeaway. Our temporary suffering is a small price to pay if just one person is drawn closer by our faith. Because friends, here's what Paul and Silas realized that we need to get. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's about our Lord. And if we will trust in Him, He is always enough. He is always faithful. And when we live in faith, Christ is seen even in our suffering. Let's pray. Father, help us to be willing to suffer. Because even in our suffering, you reveal yourself and your glory. Father, remind us that it's not about us. It's about You. And that You may be doing something that we cannot yet see even in a season of suffering. Lord, I I can imagine the pain that Paul and Silas went through. And this is not a fable. This is not a fairy tale. These were two very real men who experienced very real pain and injustice being severely beaten and thrown in the most inhumane prison that we could ever begin to imagine. And yet, they trusted in You. Lord, that should inspire us that whatever we might be going through or about to go through, however painful it might be, it is something that You want to use for Your glory. And Your glory is what really matters. Thank you for these people whom I love and have the privilege to teach. May we be, as Steve prayed earlier, doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.